Today's readings are from Romans 5, 1 through 5, and Psalm 8. They can be found on pages 1040 and 502 of the Bibles next to you on your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what are mere mortals that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have, be, you have made them a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Our God of grace, as we um, look at, listen to these words, we pray that um, you would use them to bring light into our lives and into our world. We come and we sit in this place and we have, um, we have very different experiences. Um, some of us might feel comfortable this morning, other, others of us might feel raw um, there might be grief or pain or unexpected life circumstances that have us very riled up this morning. We might also come in a sort of comfortable place or a, a place of, of gratitude or um, a place of joy. Or we might come somewhat numb, just sort of anesthetized by the, the comforts of life and the, um, the day in and day out. And from all these places, we might really need to hear your voice in different kinds of ways this morning, but um, there's also something universal, there's also something we all share, and that's that we're more broken, frail, fragile, and we're more of a mess than we care to admit. And so we cling, once we hear it, we cling to this message of your grace that says, even though we're more of a mess than we care to admit, we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined through what you have done intervening, intervening into this broken world through your son Jesus who went in our place and went into the mess and carried the burden of it so that we 
we could uh, not have that burden and have the status of your son Jesus before you. We come with that kind of confidence and that kind of hope and that kind of grace looking again for your voice today. We pray that you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. This, is a, this is kind of a psalm, uh, one of the 150 psalms. Psalm 8 is the one we'll focus on today from that reading. And this is one that is, is fairly well known. It has a, a little bit of play out there in the world, as much as you can expect from anything from the Bible. So you may have heard something of it. Um, and one of the older, kind of the classic translations have, have spoken of it this way, or have translated it this way, this key part of this psalm. What is man, you know, really just everyone, not just the guys, but what is man uh, that you care for him or what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? It's the way of using Hebrew uh, parallelism in poetry just basically to say two times, what's the deal with these people that you care about them? It's a very philosophical question, right? What is humanity? That's That's how we voiced it last week in the question of the week. What is humanity? And I thought we could start with... Um, anybody remember Jack Handy? Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy? Saturday Night Live? This is one of his. He said, maybe in order to understand mankind, we have to look at the word itself. Mankind. Basically, it's made up of two separate words. Mank and end. <laughs> what do these words mean? It's a mystery. And that's why so is mankind. Now, I actually hope that we get a little farther than that today, that we make things a, a little clearer than, than Jack Handy. Um, somebody, somebody answered the question last week, the question of the week, by saying, by quoting um, Lucy Van Pelt, who said, I love mankind, it's the people I can't stand. And if this, of course, is going at the question in a way that maybe on day in and day out, you don't actually address these things you know, this is the philosophical approach. You know, what is humanity? And I don't know how much time you spend each day thinking broadly, thinking in the macro about what is mankind, what is humanity, what is humankind. Most likely, we're more just on the micro level saying, what is it that we wrestle with? Who am I? Who, who am I? What's going on here? How do I think about myself? That's an that's a everyday kind of thing, and, and it's, a, it's a little bit strange when you do a historical comparison because if 500 years ago you sat around with your friends and you said, you know, I'm just, I'm just in a place in my life where I'm trying to figure out who I am, I'm trying to find myself, I'm trying to ask the question, who am I? They would have said, what, what are you, crazy? Don't you have a name? Don't you have a family? Don't you have a country? Don't you have a religion? What is this who am I stuff? But here we are after, you know, the enlightenment and modernity and we find ourselves in contemporary life with a lot of those things stripped away, right? Like we don't necessarily have so much of a sense of family as a sense of a, a series of, of uh, living arrangements. We don't so much have a religion as we have, you know, a set of, of uh, meditation practices built up in our kind of self-help toolbox. Um, things are different now and we in a sense have put this tremendous identity burden um, on ourselves 
where we believe that we must carry this question and we must find the answers to this question of defining ourselves. Who am I? Are you up to the challenge? Are you up to the weighty challenge to figure this out? Um, it's tough. It's not easy. Bridget Jones, in Bridget Jones's diary, has this great entry that she puts in her journal. Um, and she says, let's see, I have, I have it here on this uh, one of these little sermon support documents here. Let's see. Um, here it is. She says, Wednesday, March 5, 7.08 p.m. Am assured, receptive, responsive woman of substance... My sense of self comes not from other people, but from, from myself? That can't be right. Right? So isn't there, some, isn't, isn't there some truth to that, to our experience of trying to figure ourselves out? That it's like, I, I, don't know if we, I don't know if we're up to the challenge. I don't know if we can accurately assess ourselves just from you know, digging deep within ourselves. There's all these different messages out there about how you would do this. There's, you, know, you are your DNA. You are your deepest feelings. You are um, your achievements. All these possible ways to define yourself. Do any of them really give you a satisfying answer, though? That's the, the question. Or do you just get more conflicted the deeper, you know, like... Like peeling an onion, you know, you just get like, where does the onion, where does the skin start and where does it stop? And pretty soon you just, you know, don't have anything left as you try to figure it out. Blaise Pascal, this is a great comment he gives about looking, in, looking at ourselves, looking at humanity. He says, what sort of freak then is man? How novel? How monstrous? How chaotic? How paradoxical? How prodigious? Judge of all things? feeble earthworm, repository of truth, sinkhole of doubt and error, glory and refuse of the universe. Blaise Pascal. See, it's not so clear. It's not so easy to figure out who, who am I? Who are we? Who, what, is, what is man? What is humankind? We get mixed signals from our society. On the one hand, have you noticed that this? You get this strong message that, oh, you have value. If nothing else, you must cling to this idea that you have real, true, deep, inner value and worth. Don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. At the very same time, there's a strong message that we hear and that uh, is usually bought into just at the exact same time, but it's conflicting. And it's that message that you're, at, you're really just an, a, you know, a result of a million accidents that happened over billions of years. You are va so valuable. You have value and purpose. You're, an, uh, you know, you're a result of millions of accidents. What, well, what is it? We find ourselves conflicted. It's either this like super great thing or is it, are we just, there's one of the quotes in the worship guide that you know, we're no more than a, grain of, a baboon or a grain of sand. We're no different. Well, Psalm 8 comes into the fray here, and it gives you something to hang on to. It gives you something to say, okay, if, if, I'm, if I'm not going to carry the burden of my own self-identity all by myself, I'm going to have to construct a whole philosophy for who I am and what I am and build it, and it better ring true my whole life. If you're ready to get out from underneath that oppressive burden, Psalm 8 jumps in and says, let me tell you, let me tell you who you are. Let's talk about humanity. And what it says is these crucial lines relate to God making us. You have made them a little lower than the heavenly beings. Basically saying, 
we're a notch below the gods, you know, lowercase g. We're a notch below angels. And then uh, you made them a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned them with glory and honor. That's a big, a big lofty vision, uh, a strong assessment of who we are. You made them ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. That is an astonishing assessment of who we are. It uh, includes glory and honor, and it has, it's, if that is going to be true, it's going to have massive implications on your life and on our world. So as we size up ourselves, as, you, as you're spending time sizing up yourself, you may not be constantly sizing up humanity, but on the ma- micro level, really, I'm just going to say that I think on a daily basis, every single one of us is doing something to size ourselves up. It's not always a very pleasant experience, is it? And if you're going to be sizing yourself up, let's look to see what Psalm 8 does. And, and I want to do this really in two parts. First of all, just answer two questions. Is this lofty assessment, is it accurate? So that's like the first question. Is it accurate? Can I buy into it? And secondly, how do we achieve it? So first of all, is it accurate? Is it accurate? Is it, is it an accurate assessment? Is it something that's going to ring true to us that we really have this, this glorious place in the world? You know, that we really have a place that is is a little higher up, a little more glorious than other creatures and other things? Did God have a special purpose in making us, and is that how you find yourself, to find that deep inner purpose? You have to, I, think, I think you have to just intellectually, right out of the gates with that claim, is you have to admit the arguments that exist against it. You know, it, it the arguments that are out there, the things that you can look at and say, well, I kind of, I don't know, are, is it accurate to call us glorious? Um, Gerald, in the, in the worship guide, I think this one's in the worship guide, there's a quote by Gerald Parshall who says, even for secular intellectuals, the Holocaust supplied the most powerful brief yet for the existence of original sins. sin. Two centuries earlier, thinkers were asserting the perfectibility of man. Now, they were debating whether Germans were human. The answer, tragically, was Yes. What, what, are we really this glorious? What, is the, what do the history books show? Viktor Frankl uh, wrote it. This put the same, kind of coming out of the same reflection on the same historical period says, our generation is realistic for we have come to know man as he really is. After all, man is that being who invented the gas chambers of Auschwitz. He is also that being who entered those gas chambers upright with the Lord's Prayer or the Shema Yisrael on his lips. What is mankind? Who are we? Well, it doesn't always look that glorious. And one theologian and writer put it this way. He said, the authentic story of the human condition includes stories of both Mr. Rogers and child abusers, both Mother Teresa and heartless exploiters, both Billy Graham and disgraced televangelists, both ordinary good folk and ordinary bad folk. Who are we? The Bible says we're glorious. We're crowned with glory and honor. You know, to, to really get at this, what you have to see is that in, in Psalm 8, um, and you can imagine as it says, this is a psalm of David, as he's writing this, that he's composing a song that is a commentary on another little bit of the Bible. 
because he's quoting exactly from Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, when humans were first created. And this psalm is unique in that way, in that it takes, it takes a little piece of the story and then reiterates it and marvels over it and teases it out a little bit. And so what the reflection is really really getting into when, when we read this where it says, you made them rulers of the works of your hands, you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Well, he's quoting right from Genesis 1 where it says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Rule over the fish of the sea and birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Psalm 8 is a song, a singing an identity song calling us back to who we are and how we were made and reminding us we were made in God's image. Um, image. We have a special place in this creation because of how we were created, and that word image is, is incredibly important to the biblical story because it basically says we are like, uh, not like when you, you know, maybe a lot of creation is speaking about God and telling us things about God, but it's kind of like a fuzzy picture, kind of like when you look at your reflection in a stream of water. You know, it's, it's pretty fuzzy, right? You can't get a lot of detail but when God made human beings, it's like, he, he's, it's like a mirror. We reflect his image more clearly. There's a whole, you know, in a sense, there's a whole other sermon about like, well, what does that exactly mean that we could go into? But just in short, he put us here to have a special place to reflect, to embody something of himself. I ran across a new, a new word that describes this, and maybe it's not new to you, it's new to me, plenipotentiary. You heard of that word, plenipotentiary? A plenipotentiary is someone who um, is, is like a diplomat or an understudy of someone who's you know, large and in charge, and they kinda, you can set this person up, and now they have authority. So they're, they bring authority to whatever realm or terrain or area that they're working, but it's, it's sort of a borrowed authority, it's sort of representative of the one under whom they come. We are God's plenipotentiaries. Um, now, the Bible says that we're, you know, it says we're made for this. This is, the, this is what God has done when he created us. He set us up, and that's a pretty noble identity. And yet, as the Bible moves on very quickly from Genesis chapter 1, we see we've screwed it up. We've made a mess of it. We've, we've broken things. We've mucked it up. And just like, you know, a diplomat could go under the president's, um, you know, uh, blessing, you know, go, you have, you have the authority, go to this other country and hold these meetings and take care of the situation far on the other side of the globe while I deal with this stuff. Just like the president can send someone out to do that, if that person messes it up big time and makes a huge giant problem for the president in that far-off nation, the president might just get on that plane and fly there and clean things up and start to restore kind of the peace and the intention of his authority and restore his good name. It's a good way to understand the whole rest of the story of the Bible. When um, the psalmist is writing about this, he says, what are, what are um, I want to make sure, I memorized at one time a different version of this, so I have to be careful and look at to how this, 
how this is worded here, so I'm not confusing you. So, what are mere mortals that you are mindful of them, the human beings that you care for them? Basically, it's saying that God puts a lot of thought into us. God can't stop thinking about us, and that makes sense if we are God's plenipotentiaries, that you know, he, he, he cares a lot. He's got a lot wrapped up in how well we kind of fulfill this role and how well we mirror and image him. He cares a lot about it. Um, in, in many ways, a, a plenipotentiary in my life that I, that I have a regular experience with is when we have a babysitter and my wife Lisa and I go out. Right, So, okay, you're, a ba- you're the babysitter. We give you kind of the keys. We tell you where the food is. We give you the instructions. And you get to pretend to be mommy or daddy for a couple of hours here. You know, keep, make sure they're alive when we get back. Right, <laughs> That's pretty much the main, the main thing that matters by the end of it. But when, I'm, you know, when, when we're off and we're, you know, we're watching a movie or whatever, what is the most likely thing that we're going to do if we're going to be distracted in the midst of our date that we're having is we're going to think, like, oh, how's it going back there with the babysitter? <laughs> I wonder how, oh boy, this is right about the time that those two tend to fight and get in, throw a fit and need to get in bed now. I wonder how that's going <laughs> with my plenipotentiary back home. You know, what, with my babysitter, like, how's that going right now? And, um, you know, and, I, and we might, if things get really bad, if things are just a disaster, we might, this, I don't think this has ever happened, we might have to come back home and, like, save the day or something. But usually there's just this really important communication both, way, both ways afterwards, right? Where there's this interest, there's this thought, there's this back and forth. Oh, how'd that go? Oh, I'm curious about, you know, I noticed this one was really tired today. Did you notice? Did the, you know, how'd that go? This is usually hard. How'd that go? And they, there's the report, and it's always totally different than you think it's going to go, and the kids try to change the rules on the babysitter and all this stuff. But there's this meaningful interaction, right? Because uh, I, I really care. I'm thinking about it. I care about the results. I'm invested, and God's basically saying that throughout the Bible, you know, I have skin in the game with how well you mirror me. I can't stop thinking about you. I can't stop thinking about this. Even though we've mucked it up, he's entered in and with the Bible. Um, the Bible shows us that basically with God out of the picture, things really are, if to, to say accurately, things are kind of bleak. You know, the way that the, the moon is a pretty abysmal thing to look at if there's no sun shining its light on it, right? The, the moon doesn't create its own light. And so it is with us. So how accurate is it to say we are crowned with glory and honor? Well, it's, it's accurate to what God's intent is. Things have gotten mucked up pretty bad. And that's what the Bible is very honest about. And so the second piece of the picture becomes really important. How, how do we achieve it? Or how do we, you might say, re-achieve this high standing, this lofty picture that we have in verse 5? You have made them a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. You know, how do you achieve, how do we imagine ourselves getting back into that? Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan for glory? I mean, I know deep down all of us have some sense, some voice that, says, I think I was made for big things. I think, I'm, I think I'm a kind of a big deal. You know, not in that big-headed kind of way, but all of us kind of have this little, this little piece of us that says, no, no I, I, I have a suspicion that, that I matter, that I was made for glory, in a sense, is how the Bible would put it. But how do we, obviously, we're, we're not living in glory a lot of the time, so how do, we, how do we restore this? How do we achieve it? And if you go by what a lot of Christians live like, a lot of what a lot of preachers say to congregations and write in their books, you'd think 
that the plan is to achieve this glory once again through your religious and moral behavior. You know, just kind of tighten the bolts and, um, and, and let's, let's key ourselves up and try a lot harder. Maybe we'll get there. It's not at all what the Bible, where the Bible leads us on this journey. In fact, it's going to be this God, just like that plenipotentiary diplomat, you know, the diplomat who screws it up, just like the, you know, the president might have to fly across the world. That's the story of the Bible, that God has to come. This is how, very interesting to see Scripture inside of Scripture inside of Scripture. If you go to Hebrews chapter 2, you see Hebrews chapter 2, written to Jewish Christians in the first century after Jesus. And, and you, see it, you see this writer quoting Psalm 1, which is a quote of Genesis, or quoting Psalm 8, which is a quote of Genesis 8. So it's a quote within a quote within a quote. And here we go. He says, What are mere mortals that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You put everything under their feet. And then, and then here's some commentary on this, some thought, deeper thoughts. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet, and this will ring true with you, yet at the present we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone and verse 10 says in bringing many sons and daughters to glory it is fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered now basically what I want you to hear from that and focus in on in that is that the writer is saying okay interesting Psalm, Psalm 8 says glory and honor Jesus comes, faces not glory and honor, but death and dishonor. But then now he's crowned with glory and honor, and it's all done so that many sons and daughters can be brought to glory and honor. So Jesus has come. Jesus has stooped low for a while so that we might be brought up, so that we can be restored again to that place. So God's, you know, according to Psalm 8, God's thinking so much about this issue, thinking so much about how we mucked it up. He can't stop being mindful of it that finally he, he intervenes. Finally he comes in because it's not going to be us crowning ourselves with glory and honor and achieving it in some way. It's going to be him. He went into the dishonor and the lowliness to reconstruct our glory, to, to reinstate God's plenipotentiary one of the things about um, if you get to know Jesus, if you have a prayer life with Jesus, if you've you know, explored Jesus through the Gospels, which I highly recommend, and you have this sense of connecting with Jesus, one of the ways that you know that, you're, that, it's, that it's real and that you've truly connected with the real Jesus is that he starts to remind you of yourself. He starts to, deep within you start to be reminded again of who you are. That's a key work of the Holy Spirit as you get to know Jesus, reminding you of who you are. Oh, yeah. Rebuilding the sense of identity. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's a glorious thing. Uh, Rebecca Pippert, this quote is in your worship guide. She says, Jesus shows us humanity as we are meant to be. He shows us what humanity looks like without sin, and it is breathtaking and marvelous. Um, I, I had this experience of going for three days this week to a nature camp in the Russian River Valley with fifth graders. 
Um, it was a really good experience. One of my favorite parts was Raven. Raven was this um, gentleman, uh, uh, probably a couple decades older than myself, just a wise nature guide, but also really good with kids. Just really good with kids. And um, at, this, at this camp, it's called Westminster Woods, and it's, it's a camp, but they also have these educational camps. I guess I was expecting a little more like a school setting, but, you know, or just that kind of that school vibe, but it was, it was way more like summer camp vibe, you know, with this really cool educational stuff kind of built in. Um, so I was, I was pleasantly surprised to be really brought back uh, almost exactly 20 years ago when I spent my first summer being a, I was in college and I was a camp counselor. Um, I was reminded of sort of the, the, the light-hearted, joyful silliness of a camp counselor that I, that I once had. Now, um, you know, being immersed for 14 years now in um, diapers and bathtubs, I have four kids, um, diapers and bathtubs and uh, milk spills and bedtimes and interrupted sleep and children screaming into my ears from two feet behind the driver's seat. Um, I, I got to say that I'm not proud of the fact that that side of me, that old, joyful, winsome, lighthearted camp counselor side has been really buried deep under some layers of just get out of my face. You know, just like, kinda, sorry, I know some of you are on the, uh, you're, you're looking forward to the parenting stage. It's great. Don't learn from me. So when I was hanging out with Raven with these kids, it took about 48 hours before it started to happen. But I honestly, just hanging out with them, I just started to, this part of me, and I'm not at all being sarcastic or overly romantic about this. This part of me started to wake up a little bit. Like it started to be like, oh yeah, you know, there you are. Where have you been, <laughs> right? Like this is fun. This is light. You know, this is amazing. Childhood is incredible. The wonder and the joy. Um, I needed that. And I've been carrying it with me um, the, in the like three or four days since I've been back. I honestly have been. Have been. And maybe it'll take a while and, you know, the, you know, It'll get squished down again. Um, but it's a real part of me. It's not like a phony part. It's not, it's a legitimate, it's a, it's a, it's a really, it's like a light shining in there that's been covered. Friends, that's what it's like. That's what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus. That's what it's like because Jesus shows us who we're supposed to be. And through God's work, Jesus makes it possible that we kind of come awake again to who he made us to be. Charles Wesley put it this way in a hymn, Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee, changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Will you join me in prayer? Our God of grace, thank you for um, the work that you do to restore us, to make us come alive again. Would you keep doing that work in our lives? Would you remind us of who we are? Would you, as we do the silliest of things and pretend as if we're the moon bragging about the light that we create, as we get wrapped up in ourselves in all the worst possible ways, would you shine your brightness on us? Would you, would you turn the light switch on and by your power and by your work, would you restore who we are once again? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.